Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Wednesday, June the 2nd, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, and we put on our Christ goggles as we study 2 Kings chapter 3. Elisha is now the prophet. Elijah went to heaven, and it says that the Spirit was upon him. He made bad water good. Sounds like somebody else in the Old Testament. And he was called a bald head. I'm not quite sure what that means exactly, but after they made fun of him and they mocked him, he uh, cursed him in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears came out of the woods and destroyed 42 of the boys. So clearly, you don't mess with Elijah. Elisha. excuse me. And that is something that we think about today, is what will happen now that Elisha is, well, the prophet. And we'll find out, because it not only points us to Elisha, but it points us to something more. And what, we, what will be is obviously Christ. Join us as we find this out. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us, help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Pastor Bruce Tim of Redeemer Lutheran Church in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Pastor Tim, welcome to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be here, Pastor Finnern. I was looking up something here, and a little-known fact about Pastor Tim is that when he was in high school, he ran a 4-minute and 42-second 1600 at Wadena High School, still 10th on the list for the record at Wadena Deer Creek High School, still to this day. What do you think of that, Pastor? 4 minutes and 42 seconds. Well, it was a, a long time ago, and um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, only because you graduated from Wadena High School uh, 18 years after I did, <laughs> and there's probably a few uh, Finnern records on the uh, on the walls there at Wadena Senior High School. Well, we, we, you never know. And, and a reminder to our listeners, Pastor Tim is from my hometown, um, or I'm from his hometown. I should say it that way. Um, I'm from his hometown, and I was just looking through some of the records because Pastor Tim and I talk about track quite a bit, and I'm in the middle of my, uh, at the end of my track season, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to look this up. But you are still 10th on the list at Wadena Deer Creek High School for the 1600, which is a mile run um, from your high school day. So I thought that was pr that's a pretty proud moment, don't you think? Well, it was back then. Yeah, I, uh, I hope I have more accomplishments to my name since then. But those were, yeah, high school sports, great thing, uh, great gift of God to enjoy, and and some really good memories of uh, track and cross country and hockey at at Wadena. Wonderful, wonderful. If you want more information, you can look up Wadena on Google and be amazed at the great hometown that we are from. But Pastor Tim, we know each other, but this is our first time together on Thy Strong Word. Can you spend a few minutes uh, introducing yourself and the work of the saints at Redeemer Lutheran in St. Cloud? Sure. So uh, I've uh, been a pastor 30 couple, 30 some years. I've been at Redeemer Lutheran Church in St. Cloud for the last 20. Um, I, I don't know that you would call St. Cloud as kind of a, a little mini metropolis about an hour northwest of the Twin Cities. So we're comprised of uh, four towns, four, three cities, whatever, where Pastor Finnern is at Messiah and Sartell in Sartell. Then there's Sauk Rapids, Wake Park, 
St. Cloud. Um, we're kind of the, the only Missouri Synod church kind of close to downtown. Um, and uh, we're trying to do some revitalization here. Great congregation, very faithful, supportive of the word, and and been very kind to me in my 20 years here and receptive to the word. Um, so right now we're in a little bit of the beginning of the summer lull, but we're kind of looking forward to, uh, I think it's called National Night Out in August, and we're hoping mm -hmm. to uh, engage our neighborhood a little bit with that. Uh, we just finished an extensive remodeling project to beautify our church. Um, it was kind of a, uh, well, you'd have to see it to believe it. It's a 1964 mm -hmm. uh, gargantuan bomb shelter, and uh, <laughs> it's got a cement roof and two feet thick cement walls, and uh, it's just an odd-looking building. So we uh, beautified it with some artwork and paint and better lighting, and uh, so now now uh, uh, not the field of dreams thing because it was built a long time ago, but now we, we want people to come and, and we want to engage our neighborhood um, in bringing them to the gifts of God and the gospel. Absolutely. It is a beautiful sanctuary. The remodel we did was outstanding. My family has been there, um, worshiped uh, with Received the gifts, as we say, um, with Pastor Tim, and it is a wonderful church. So when you're looking up Wadena, you also can look up Redeemer Lutheran Church in St. Cloud and get a feel for what that looks like and also the great ministry of the people there. So, Pastor, um, we are looking at Second Kings chapter 3, and as we are about to search the scriptures, can you begin us in prayer? Sure. Lord God, Heavenly Father, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, you inspired the men who wrote your word for us. And from beginning to end, from Moses to St. John, your word points us to Jesus. So help Pastor Finnern and myself this morning as we explore your word that Christ may always be at the center and that we might deliver this good news to those who are listening that we might examine the scriptures and see the love and mercy you have shown us in your son in the book of Second Kings. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, not only did Pastor Tim run a 442 in high school, but he also does a lot of research and knows a lot about the Holy Scriptures. So if any had any questions today on 2 Kings chapter 3, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. Um, and also, we are starting to do this. Call in 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. So, Pastor, we are, like I said before, we're in 2 Kings chapter 3, and it really ends a wild ride, um, I would say, from the beginning of 2 Kings, where you have Elijah, you have him go to heaven, you have Elisha that I mentioned earlier. But what are some background or uh, contextual or thematic uh, uh, highlights you want to make to help us out this morning? Well, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, I mean, you really have the ups and downs going on, I mean, throughout these books of Kings. But like you said, I mean, Elijah was taken to heaven, great for Elijah. But, you know, now 
Now the people of God need a prophet, and Elisha follows. And, of course, yeah, you've got the wonderful bald man and the bears and all of that. But <laughs> it, it really, like, just looking at, you know, first glance when I was contacted about, you know, being on with you, and I'm going, wow, Second Kings 3, there's really something to get into. But but as I studied it, and just as you look, I mean, this this is the life of God's people. Um you know, it's ups and downs, it's death and life, and, and you know, but, but God provides his word for his people. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're living in that, you know, some just other background, which you may have covered another, but, you know, we're living in that divided kingdom between north and south, um, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And there's all sorts of machinations as the, the kings try to keep peace and make peace and find peace. Um, and, you know, that certainly speaks to our, our day as well. Um, you know, we're, well, we, we've talked about this a lot, you and I, but just the, the divisions in our own country um, maybe not, but but certainly along political lines, I think what was going on back in the Old Testament was a little bit different. But but then this seeking after peace, you know, which certainly a lot of people want, and a lot of people have ideas about how we would go about getting that. Um, and and then uh, throughout this, you just see the the Lord does what He will. And he does it for the benefit of his people. And I think as we get to the end of chapter three, I mean, it's almost like the end of chapter two in the sense like, you know, why is God sending bears to eat? You know, and you're like, I I don't know. Um, And and so we kind of get to that at the end of chapter three, too, with some of what the Lord uh, does at the end of the chapter. I really like how you highlighted that they were the the, the intentions, and I don't want to go too far with that because we don't want to we don't want to get into uh, intention um, monitoring. But but clearly the kings and and Israel and Judah and everybody else wanted um, to have peace. I mean, you said that so well that they're seeking after peace, but really from the time of David on, they're usually looking for peace in all the wrong places. You know, um, that they're looking for right. it in uh, power, they're looking for it in, in wisdom. Not to say wisdom was bad, obviously, but there was there's not a lot of times where they pray for faith or ask for faith or trust. And we see that once again today is, is just a lack of faith in understanding what's happening, which can relate to today, because how often are we struggling just to make sure we're <laughs> that we have faith that the Lord is going to lead us through whatever trial it might be. And we'll see that again here today. Any any last thoughts before we dig into the text? No, I think that kind of gets us to the point where we can start looking at the scriptures. Awesome. Awesome. Let's do it. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy of, of, of the Bible, and we'll starting just with the first three verses of 2 Kings chapter 3. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal and his father had, that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin, 
and he did not depart from it. So, so here we, we have a Jehoram takeover. Um, Jehoshaphat is in Judah. Jehoram takes over in Israel. How did that go for him? Well, um, you know, the, one of the interesting things that uh, in, in reading about these kings, and that's, you know, something we learned well in the seminary, but don't always pay attention, is you kind of have um, these two kings, and, and they, are, they, are, they are good and bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, not mm-hmm. unlike, you know, the rulers we have. So uh, Jehoram, it says, did evil, but... He did some good, and and I was reading up a little bit about this, but he got rid of this pillar of Baal that his father had erected. And uh, then if you read about Jehoshaphat, who who ruled in the south, in Judah, I mean, he ruled for a long time, and he is uh, described as a good uh, king, you know, and we always learned, you know, how it goes for the king, it goes for the people, mm-hmm. and and yet he's also described as having done evil. Um, so you you kind of wonder, is this, you know, the Old Testamentish uh, saint and sinner uh, that mm. that uh, the writer of Kings is showing us here? Um, and then we're, you know, Jehoram, it's not going to work out too well for him, uh, not to not to divulge the end of the chapter. Um, but, you know, and uh, this in verse three, the uh, the sin of Jeroboam, he clung mm-hmm. to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And uh, this was um, Jeroboam had built the, the golden calf or two and placed one in Dan and one in Bethel, and sort of describes this as, uh, I'm going to use our word, convenience, uh, but that the people could then worship the Lord uh, through these golden calves closer, you know, to where they lived. So kind of odd, Jehoram took down the pillar of Baal, but then erected these golden calves, uh, similar to Aaron at the base of Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, one of the things just kind of, I always, I guess, probably as a parish pastor, think about, you know, what what questions would we ask in Bible study or how would we address this in the sermon? And, uh, you know, just thinking about, well, you know, how do, how do we worship God or, you know, maybe worship the God of convenience or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just, kind of thinking sermonically or whatever, but, you know, so Jehoram did something good, but then left up these golden calves. <laughs> there was, you know, that's an interesting way to uh, bring it up. I guess I never thought about that way. When you read in First Kings chapter 12, that you hear Jeroboam take these two calves, which, I mean, ultimately he has like bragging rights over Aaron, not just one. I have two. I mean, this is a good deal. I, I'm really into this. But then you have the convenience factor. And I think that's a good, that's a good question for us to ask as Christian people. Are we being faithful or are we thinking convenience first? And I, I don't want to go too far down that road because we don't want to like start pinpointing things when, when I have my own conveniences that I tend to, uh, to look towards. However, it is a good question for us to ask because here, well, we have two, 
you know, you go if you live near Dan, you got Dan. If you live near Bethel, you got Bethel. Um, this is the God that took you out of Egypt, which is clearly a lie. And so we have to always ask those questions of ourselves um, because this can not only affect us, but as we learn in the Ten Commandments, it goes to third and fourth generations of those who did not follow his will. So it really is a good, great background, Pastor, as we look at both the kings and then we bring in Jeroboam. Um, and just because you're not as bad as the last king, it doesn't mean you're a good king, I think is a good line for us right. here as well. Any last thoughts on those three verses? No, I think that kind of, you know, we've covered each of the kings and um, and then this uh, this reference to the sin of Jeroboam, um, which, you know, and, and obviously it does put, you know, faith and, and worship um, that these these kings are odd kings because they, they really stand as the spiritual head of the country, too. You know, mm -hmm. and that's something, you know, it, it isn't just you know, a political leader, I mean, they, you know, God was reticent to give them a king because he was to rule over them. And, uh, you know, so, so these are, you know, these are political leaders, but they're also, I don't know what we call a worship leader, but, you know, they are, right. they are to set the example for the worship uh, of the Lord. And, um, you know, and, and probably like all every every one of us pastors is tempted to uh, take the the easier route. Like you say, you know, we may not want to point out, you know, the but you know, e even us pastors uh, opt for convenience. Right. So, uh, well, you know, just like us, they are an example. It doesn't mean they're always a good example. <laughs> what, right. what we should be doing in this, and that's a great, um, a great input. In, in, input too is that these kings are different than what we might envision a king, and we really don't have a good example of this in our, I would say, our world, um, because you know, a king is supposed to be like secular, and then the religious aspect. If there is a, a place that sees it as religious, let's say Scandinavia or England or something that it's clear that they, they really don't have any input on the theological end. They're not seen as a prophet. Right. They're not seen as a priest or something like that. So it's really hard for us. And it has been hard for me reading through this to get my mind wrapped around that, but they definitely are almost at the same level, the, the, the faith realm and the secular realm. If I, I don't, it's probably not even a good way to say it. The two kingdoms realm, um, really at the same level. And that's something that we've had to rehash a number of times through this. So it is confusing, but also makes you realize the importance of faith to the kings of those days. And we pray for the same today for our, our uh, leaders. So let's move on, um, because now it incorporates a new, another kingdom, and it brings <laughs> it brings Israel and Judah together in a weird way. So uh, verses 4 through 8, we'll read verses 4 through 8. Now, Mesha, king of Joab, was a sheep breeder. And he had to deliver the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 1,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out to Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, by which shall we march? And Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. 
So, Pastor, where do you want to start with this? We can go Moab, we can go uh, the Rams, we can go <laughs> we can go with Mesha. How so, do you want to start this? Well, probably just to, to get our geography. I know I was, you know, again, it's always good to be studying this word in detail, um, but that means you got to look it up and, and see where things are. So we've already got Judah in the south and Israel in the north, and they are on the... Uh, west side of the Jordan River and the, uh, the salt, death, salt or Dead Sea. Um, so Edom is down to the south, you know, when they determine which way they're going to go. And Moab is on the other side of the Jordan River um, and the, the Salt or Dead Sea. Um, so they're, you know, across the, the river to the east of of Judah and southern Israel. So those are the areas. And at least from my reading, um, you know, uh, Judah and Israel at this time had, you know, some power and reign. So Edom and Moab were, I, I don't know if I'd use the word, some Old Testament professor will call in, correct me, but under or, you know, subservient um, to Judah and Israel, and that's why you had this contract of, of sheep uh, and lambs and wool um, that was a tribute um, to the king of Israel, um, and that he decided, the king of Moab decided not uh, to deliver on that tribute, and so that would have been an act of uh, rebellion or, you know, um, one one thing, you know, probably, you know, the most famous Moabitess uh, was Ruth, for people to remember that Ruth was from Moab. So we certainly hear of that land um, and nation in other parts of the scriptures. And then she would have uh, been a an ancestor of David, King David. So that's true. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, because the Moabites is one of those parts of the Bible. First of all, actually, let me take a step back. Is it's good for us to be able to look at the map um, in your typical Bible? For example, Lutheran Study Bible, you can look at the maps in the front of your of your Bible, and other ones have it in the back or throughout the throughout the Bible. And it is interesting to me just how um, you know if you were to ask me, oh, where's Moab on the map? I don't know if I would have exactly put it where it actually is, because <laughs> you kind of forget right. where it is. But then for them to go from, uh, well, Mount Carmel, you know, that kind of seems like where Elisha hangs out. We learn a little bit of this. They'd go all the way there and then to go all the way south through Edom is not necessarily a, a good route. I mean, this is kind of like the Israelites wandering through the desert in many ways. But obviously they had a, uh, a reason for this. And I think part of it is what, exactly what you said is that. Edom and Moab were not like the powerhouses. Uh, you know, Judah and Israel had more power than them, so they could kind of go any way they wanted. Um, but then there was a plan that God had in order for it to happen that they would be able to, I guess you'd say, win um, this battle. But it is it is interesting to see where it is in the realm of this. To connect it with Ruth is not to show that it's a completely lost cause of, of a land because Ruth came from there and she was a faithful woman. Um, but it is it is interesting. There's not a lot of Moabites listed as faithful people in the Bible either. So any any other thoughts on those verses? 
Um, you know, one of the, and I, I don't know that I really determined an answer, you know, other than, as you said, you know, probably um, from you know, God's, well, God's hand is in this, that they have to go, that they decide, you know, humanly speaking, they don't decide on the best route to get right. to Moab. I'm assuming, and I don't know, I've never been there, but a river, you know, like the Jordan River, I don't think it's a monstrous river, but they certainly could have crossed it, um, you know, with their, their military would have been a lot shorter and quicker way. Um, and they could have even, like you said, looking at the map going around north of the Sea of Galilee um, would have also seemed to have been a quicker route. Right. But it's right. it's once again a reminder that, um, you know, e- even thinking militarily or, you know, you've got to sustain these troops where they're on the road, which is where they're going to run into a problem, uh, that mm. there would have been a quicker way to do that. But the Lord, you know, works, you know, however, however they came to this decision, uh, the Lord is going to work through it, um, which is, a, again, a, an interesting facet of this Second Kings chapter 3. And, and as we look at it, it is a unique unity that happens. Um, you know, kind of like you said, we're always striving for peace. And and here we're like, wow, here's peace. Here's Israel. Here's Judah. Jehoram says, hey, buddy, why don't you come and join us? And he's like, I mean, this is like a Ruth moment, right? Right? It's like, hey, <laughs> I am who you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. Right. And man, they're together. I mean, maybe this is going to be like a, a merger like of church bodies. Everything's right. just going to go fat and happy and <laughs> gravy train with biscuit wheels, I say. Um, right. <laughs> but it doesn't quite go that way. Any reflections on the uniqueness of them uniting in this? Well, you know, I was a couple of things first. You know, I, I, I was wondering if there was any Western, you know, old Western movie where, you know, these these cow her, you know, herders or whatever got together and say, I will go. I am as you are. My people is your people. And my horses is. But, you know, that that we ah, we digress. But, you know, it is. uh you know, and that that would be a great study. I mean, the relationship of the North and the South over time. I mean, you know, when the North was taken captive, it didn't seem like the South kind of ho-hummed. You know, it was supposed to be a warning for them. Uh, these were their fellow people in the in the you know, in the land of Israel. I mean, these these were the the tribes that had been brought out, and they just you know, of Egypt, and they kind of ho-hummed, and so. You know, you you wonder, you know, these things uh, kind of like in the, well, in the Reformation when when uh, Emperor Charles had to get the Lutherans and the Catholics together in order to fight the Turks, you know, or or if if it's the Mm -hmm. old, uh, what, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know, don't want the neighboring Moabites to get out of control and then they'll, so, so again, like you said earlier, we don't want to go into motive, motives. Um, but it does seem a common enemy or a neighboring uh, country that all of a sudden is getting uppity and not bringing in their lambs and wool. Well, Israel or and you know Judah doesn't want that either, so they agree to to go together. So, well, just, the. Uh, the- The kingdoms are united, and as we look at that, we're going to have to take our break right now. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 3 with Pastor Bruce Tim, and we'll be right back.
that our creation is the result of a fluke and accident is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. Music has no trouble expressing sorrow, even less trouble expressing joy. The church's music takes all aspects of human experience seriously. You will hear the music of burdened spirits and soaring spirits on the next Sing for Joy. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO. And welcome back. We are studying 2 Kings chapter 3 with Pastor Bruce Tim. And when we ended, it is Israel and it is Judah united, united under a common cause, and it is to be against the Moabites. They, they traveled in a way we don't really expect. I did get an email from a listener that said, you know, I think these guys were related. So you have Jehoram and, Jehosha, and the Jehoshaphat are related, which is a good point. And you said that also, Pastor, that, that, that these nations are not like uh, completely on different sides of the tracks. I mean, they are related that they would get, you know, if they had a family reunion. Union, they would be there together, that there is a connection there as well. So it's it's not like they were foreign to one another, but yet, let's be honest, all family gatherings are not necessarily cordial. So what's not too <laughs> not far with that? So um, as we move forward here, we know that they're going to go. They're going to go against the Moabites. The Moabites have have rebelled, and and now they're about to go forward. So any, any last thoughts before we move forward in the text? No, read on. Now let's do it. Verses 9 through 12, we will continue. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? Through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king, then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water in the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So now, now they're traveling seven days, and it appears those seven days were with out water. So what was the reaction of the two kings? Well, here you, you know, and, and you know, a revealing of, of character, but um, uh, Jehoram uh, thinks he has determined what the Lord is up to. You know, mm-hmm. that um, the Lord has called us out into the wilderness. You know, he is, he is going to kill us. 
Um, so without inquiring of the Lord, um, he has determined by, the, by what is visibly happening what the Lord is up to. And, and I don't know why, just because my, my brain works a little weird, but it reminded me, and I, I actually printed them out here because I don't, but uh, reminded me of the Heidelberg Disputation. And uh, one of the things Luther said there, and that, and I'm just going to read it here, that person does not deserve to be called a theologian who looks upon the invisible things of God as though they were clearly perceptible in those things which have actually happened. And I mm-hmm. think that's Jehoram. I mean, he has, he has determined the invisible motives of God uh, based on the appearance of things. And, and, you know, how often don't we fall into that same, you know, uh, bad theology? You know, Luther would likely call that a theology of glory. But I can determine God's, you know, inmost secrets and what he's up to based on what is happening to me now. And, and that, you know, and certainly Jehoram you know, must have led to the conclusion, well, man, I thought, I thought the Lord was on our side, and now we don't have any water, the Lord must be against us. And, and of course, that, that type of theology just gives you a very fickle God. Um, you know, we, we know this as pastors, we know it in caring for our flocks, you know, that the, you know, even, even you look at this book of Second Kings, you know, or, or, well, the whole account in Kings, you know, Elijah, great triumph on Mount Carmel, you know, destroys the prophets of Baal, and the next day he's running for his life, and woe mm-hmm. is me, I'm the only one left. Well, he's doing bad theology. He, he hasn't listened to God's word. So that that's Jehoram, I think. Mm. And I think that's, you know, that's one thing that you put it so well, because I kind of overlooked it. I thought more of the... um Seven days without water. What would I do for seven days without water? I think if I go a few hours without <laughs> water, I get kind of right. cranky. And so you clearly see the Israelites in this, you know, oh, it's so much better in Egypt than it is out here. You know, we used to eat all this and now we can't yep. and da, da 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 But But his response is the key. He's not lamenting saying, oh, it was so much better back in, you know, in Israel. Um, but he's saying, oh, this is what God wants for my life based on what he has seen. And this is an important thing because whenever probably one of the more dangerous things a Christian can say or you hear a preacher say is, I think God wants us to do X. You know, I mean, we're not talking about I think God wants us to have communion on Sunday. You know, I mean, this is, you know, that God wants us to hear the word of God. We're talking based on what I'm feeling and the weather and my, you know, what I saw on TV. I think God is going to do this, which is so dangerous. Now, now you mentioned this and great quote from the Heidelberg Disputation, um, which is from the year 2015, uh, Am I right? Is that the right year? I get that right. You are you are correct. I, I wrote it down so I would remember what year it was. <laughs> exactly, but one of the one of the great uh, uh, writings by Martin Luther that points us to the revealed Word of God, giving us hope. Now, Pastor, what is the issue that if I say, you know, as your pastor, I really feel like God wants us to do this? What's the issue of of, of doing that? Tell tell us more. I think this is a good point for us as we look at the rest of this uh, chapter. Well, you know, it is. I don't, and I, I think I borrowed this from uh, 
some pastor along the way, you know, we steal all our good stuff or, you know, it might be called research. Um, but, you know, we uh, it's tempted to listen in, you know, in, in the, the kitchen discussion of the Holy Trinity as they're determining the course of things in the world instead of going through the wide open front door of, of heaven, you know, to approach our father. And, you know, it, it's like we look for the, the hidden motives and, you know, agenda of God when, when we know what he has done in Christ. Um, you know, I was thinking as reading this, these verses of, of uh, 2 Kings 3 is that, you know, and you mentioned too the children of Israel, but how soon... We forget the Lord's provision and mercy. I mean, the Lord had made these guys kings of Israel and Judah. And, you know, they, they were descendants of all these tribes that had been brought out by his mighty hand and outstretched arm. Um, and, and now they're in the wilderness and they're out of water. And, and yes, wouldn't take me too long to get very thirsty, but... I, I, this sounds really crass, but so what if they die? I mean, they, mm -hmm. Don't they believe it would serve the Lord's purpose? You know, and you know, and again, I'm not going to, you know, th throw Jehoshaphat and Jehoram under the bus because we ourselves think that way. Like, you know, we certainly, and you probably, maybe you've rehashed COVID too many times, but you know that we are, they were so fearful. Of, of something happened to me or the, the or, or even you know getting back to my word the littlest convenience of my life being lost and somehow I question the Lord's providence and try to figure out what he's doing when if you will the front door to heaven is wide open I, I mean I know the, the 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 if you will the major thing of God's heart that amazingly he loves me he cares for me he's called me to be his child. Um, and, you know, <laughs> compared to that, who cares what else he's up to? I, I mean, I don't need mm. to know. And, and if in his grand plan of accomplishing the salvation of all those he has called and chosen, I die of thirst, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and granted, it's easy for me to talk about that when I'm not dying of thirst after seven days in the wilderness, which is why I don't want to you know, blast these guys too much, but scripture is written for our correction and pointing mm. us to Christ. And, you know, so often we, you know, just as Israel forgot the, the grand deliverance of the Lord from Egypt, you know, before they had even made it a couple days journey, Right. You know, and, and this I believe, and you know, it's it's one of your your great things you picked up from our uh, our professor Nagel at the seminary. But you know, it's why we need the gifts often and regularly, and why we need to be people of the word, um, you know, and and be studying the scriptures because you know, even like I myself, I mean, just doing an hour or so work in Second Kings just. It was strengthening for my faith, but also goes, on, man, maybe I need to do a Bible study on kings. I mean, this is <laughs> this enough. is what this is what our life is about. Yeah. And then, you know, it's it's, you know, but big surprise, you know, there the Holy Spirit inspired it that, you know, 
wow, if you get into it and dig into it, there's some really good stuff, you know. And All right, I better and, be quiet. No, you're doing great, Pastor Tim. And, and one of the, as you say that, we can put ourselves in Jehoram's shoes. While at the same time, my, my track coach in college would tell us this, is that no person is completely worthless because they can at least serve as a bad example. Um, for us not to do. (laughs) So I think you're saying that as well, is that how can we speak words of faith in the midst of trial? How can we look to the Lord in the midst of of all the other issues that we have? And I would argue that you have Jehoram, and then here's Jehoshaphat, who says uh, words of faith. Um, He said, isn't a prophet of the Lord here? And there is an insight I received um, from uh, from our listener too is that Jehoshaphat has another example that before the battle that Ahab died he asked for a prophet then too um, prior to this that Jehoshaphat doesn't quite say let's just trust in the Lord which let's be honest sometimes drives you nuts when you're grieving you're like oh come on just, just stop right. it but he says where's the prophet of the Lord here and who can we go to so he's actually seeking he's looking where can I go and once again and we're going to see this later with um with Naaman as well, is like, well, Elisha. So it's like, da-da-da, here he is. <laughs> Elisha is back into this whole time, and he says these important words. The word of the Lord is with him. He doesn't say, well, he's going to give us water. He doesn't say, oh, well, right. he's going he's to save us. He says the word of the Lord is with him. So he knows who will save him, not Elisha, but the Lord. So it's a dichotomy, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat, one looking to, I know what God wants. The other one, let's seek the Lord and see what he wants. Is that a good distinction, how we look at this? Yeah. And, and also, you know, that the, you know, the Lord has provided Elisha for both of these kings. And, and you think about, you know, when, when we are as Christians in, uh, you know, when we're troubled, when when our faith is ailing, you know, when, you know, Jehor, all is lost, the Lord has abandoned us, we're going to die. Uh, then, you know, if you will, as the listener said, you know, his brother, Jehoshaphat, you know, says, well, wait a minute, not as all, you know, is there a prophet? We, we need the word of the Lord. And then even, even Jehoshaphat does not presume to be the one, like, we got to get the prophet. And and so God has, you know, put people outside of us in the church. You know, these these kings are leading their men, but they, they need a prophet. They need a man outside of themselves to bring them God's word. Um, I listened to something a couple weeks ago that just struck me that, and it just said, it was a podcast, I can't remember where it was, but on the Reformation, and it said something to the effect that no person is saved without a word from someone else, you know, without the word of the Lord. And just, you know, that's kind of what, what is going on here. Elisha is there to bring them the word. That is a great, that's a great reminder. And obviously a good reminder for us as Christians is that we need a preacher. Um, we need a preacher to obviously your own pastor. Pastors need a pastor as well. That's something that Pastor Tim and I have have talked about extensively and, and and received in different conferences and so forth. And he needed a preacher, and they knew he knew they needed it, and that's exactly what Elisha did. And so they show up. Um, not only, I mean, this is interesting to me too. As we look at this strategy, is you have Jehoshaphat, 
you have uh, Jehoram, and then the king of Edom is with us too. So who knows? Maybe there was an alliance beforehand with Edom. Um, it seems like they get along pretty well. So they all go and they realize they need the Lord, and so they go and hear from him. So let's move forward here, Pastor. We're kind of cutting up on some time here. So 13, and I'll go all the way through 20. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, what, I ha what have I to do with you? Go to your prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah? I would neither look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall, you shall not see wind or rain, but the stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. And he will give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack the, every fortified city and every choice city, and you shall fell every good tree and stop up all springs of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. The next morning about the time of offering the sacrifice, behold, water came from one direction, from the direction of, of Edom, till the country was filled with water. Now I want to break this down into a few parts. First of all, Elisha sees the king of Israel and he says, um, yeah, why don't you just go to your own prophets? Because clearly you want those guys. <laughs> so any thoughts on that that thir verse 13 is interesting to uh, me yeah yeah you know and and i think here you know elisha's giving uh giving the king of israel some some law uh jehoram uh i believe is the son of ahab mm -hmm. and so that's ahab and jezebel's boy and uh you know what about those prophets of Baal, you know, that you were, you know, yeah, you took down the pillar, but hey, you know, what about, and then you kind of want to, oops, they're dead. That's right. Your prophets didn't work out. And now you're calling on the Lord's, I mean, this is some heavy duty preaching of the law um, to the king of Israel. You know, you know, now you want the Lord's help, you know, because so you know, because you're in trouble. But how did those prophets of Baal serve you? Right. Not too well. Right. Just a reminder of that. And also, you know, uh, the king steps up. No, it is the Lord who has called the three kings to give into the hand of Moab. So clearly there was a, a faith statement here. Jehoram is looking to the Lord. I don't know how he's doing it, if right. he's like fully in faith, but he's definitely looking for something from Yahweh. And then it continues there, and Elisha basically says, you know what? Bring me a musician. So I was thinking about this, Pastor. It's kind of like, um, uh, should we then bring out our organist? And maybe this will give us the answers. I mean, is this something that you do at your church? Or what, what's happening there? Any no. thoughts? <laughs> well, I want to, I know you're the host, but I want to back up a moment. Because I thought one of Please. the interesting things in between was that Elisha says, I wouldn't even be listening to you, Jehoram, if it were not for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Ah, and sure. I thought that was an interesting thing that, you know, even now, like the Lord puts up with all sorts of shenanigans from unbelievers and, and, and all of that, but he does it for the sake of his bride, the church. 
And so Mm. you think about Judah is where Christ will come from. And we've talked a little bit about the character of these two men, at least we can see. One was called evil, one was called good, in the sense of we would say one had faith and the other one didn't, maybe, or one was righteous and the other one wasn't. Um, But the Lord, Elisha is going to take care of these kings for the sake of the true king, if Mm. you will, you know, for Jehoshaphat, but also for the sake of Judah. Um, You know, this is just not fate or chance that things happen. So, so just then we should probably move on like we're pressing up on the hour. I don't mm-hmm. want to take your hosting role. No, nope, that um, is a no, you yeah, you that, did not. You did not. Plus you're 18 years older than me, you said. So just some elder uh right. props you have here anyway. So, right, so anyways, right. so you, you want to respect your elders. I thought you were going to bring up <laughs> what you often do when we're together is that I was present at your baptism, which indicates how much right. older I was that's a right. senior in high school at your baptism, so that's right. Oh, All that's right. good memories. Good memories. I don't remember, but you saw it, so it happened. So, anyways, right. Um, right. so I'm a witness. So, <laughs> you were baptized. Yeah. Okay. Into Christ. So, okay. So as we, so yeah, continue yeah, on. You got the musician, and what's the promise? Yeah. Um, you know, I I tried to do a little reading. Um, you know, we know that David used music to soothe Solomon. You know, and I don't, again, you know, I'm not a musician. I'm not going to press anything too far. But, you know, we do know um, that that music, you know, affects us. And that you think about, you know, when, you know, you most most of the time when you come into the church, whether it's Messiah or Redeemer, the music is not bound to the world. That, that our music of the church is the church's song. And it, it sings, you know, and, and it, it, you know, it's it's not what I'm listening to on the radio. It's not, um, you know, but it, and it carries a completely different message. So, so perhaps that's just it. That this music was a way to, um, with for uh, Elisha to, kind of, you know, all this stuff is going on. We're going to war. Uh, we got this. You know, we got this unbelieving king maybe here blaming the Lord for these things. The music is just going to, you know, take me away, um, you know, from the world and prepare. And, you know, we, we do use music for that purpose in the church, um, that, that it, it does call us away. I mean, these, you know, you know, we got hymns in the hymnal from Africa and China, so it calls us to think of our brothers and sisters in different places. You know, it's not bound to American culture. And we got these really old hymns, and we got some contemporary hymns written in our time. Um, but it's it's really all different than what, you know, we would normally, you know, listen to on the radio. And it is to prepare us for God's Word. So, that's probably yeah. enough said on on that. That's great. And and what was the message? What did the Lord give the message through Elisha to the kings? That tomorrow morning or tomorrow we're going to have water. Every place in the land is going to be filled up. Um, and uh, you know that that's interesting too. One of the things is that uh, they did not ask for victory. Uh, mm. You know, they, they mm-hmm. just said let's. Let's have, you know, and, and there is this little reference, which I didn't look too much. You know, he poured water on the hands of Elisha. You know, Elisha poured water. Well, we need water. 
you know, this is the Lord's prophet. Um, you know, and, and, and again, too, it's, it's like, uh, just kind of thinking, you know, the, if the Lord takes care of the greatest need in your life, salvation, you know, and this is kind of a fourth petition of the Lord's prayer. Won't he look after the other things as well? You know, you know, kind of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, if a little sparrow doesn't fall to the ground, you know, and look at their, you know, he feeds them and he clothes the lilies, you know, if he takes care of those, and he has taken care of the greatest thing. Um, but, you know, the neat thing is here, the, the Lord, well, we're jumping ahead, but we need to is, you know, they get water and victory. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So let's keep going here. 21, I'll read to the end, and then we'll have about three minutes left. When all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to put on armor, from the youngest to the older, were called out. Uh, the oldest were called out and drawn up at the border. And when they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water, the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely fought together and struck one another down. Now the Moab to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites till they fled before them. And they went forward, striking the Moabites as they went. And they overthrew the cities. On every good piece of land, every man threw a stone until it was covered. And they stopped every spring of water and felled all the good trees till all its stones were left in Kir Harasheth. And the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw the battle was going against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through opposite the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who was the rain in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. Now, Pastor, we have about two and a half minutes left, and there's a lot here. But let's just, I'll do a very basic review, and I want you to touch on the very end of this. So basically, they go, the Moabites see blood, what they think is blood in the water, thinking, oh, you know what? Edom took on Israel, and they took down one of them. Therefore, they're at their weakest. Let us, to the spoil we will, and they go, but yet they lose. And as God told them, destroy all the land, destroy everything, make sure they have no more water, um, do all of these things. And he gets to the end, he gets his swordsman, uh, the king of Moab, can't get through, and then he takes his oldest son and sacrifices him. We have about a minute and a half um, to what is going on there, Pastor? What do you got? Well, um, you know, I think, first of all, it was a, not an uncommon practice. We know that in the Old Testament of the unbelieving nations— uh, to make human sacrifices, um, to appease their gods. Um, and so it looks like this is a, a last-ditch effort to win the battle. And so the king of Edom takes his son, or sorry, the king of Moab takes his mm -hmm. son and puts him on the wall. But then comes this, this very complicated thing, and there came great wrath against Israel. Um, right. And what, what does that so? So a couple commentaries I read suggested, and I, I think I, I'm not going to agree with this, but that this word wrath is hard to interpret. And it was that Israel was so um, upset by this, like indignation, that they just walked away. It was so disgusting. Mm. But another uh, writer I read said, um, this is just the Lord's way. Um, Israel, Jehoram, had been unbelieving through this. And even though he gave them the victory, he, he uh, dispersed his wrath against Israel. 
uh, because of Jehoram's unbelief. And uh, so hmm. we, we see that time and again in Scripture, and the Lord doesn't do things as we would see them. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, this true. writer suggested that Jehoram had missed the time of repentance so that this would have been kind of a warning to everyone else. You know, I bore with Jehoram, but even in this, in the midst of battle and everything, he's not looking to me alone. 15 seconds here, Pastor. Summarize this chapter, maybe 30. Oh, man. Um, well, there's just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I should joke and maybe I shouldn't, but, you know, this is just shows how uh, we Lutherans live according to the Scripture. I mean, we've seen so many things in this chapter that are right in our lives that teach us of the faith and that even 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 look to Christ um, that, you know, that this is what Scripture does um, through Jehoram and Jehoshaphat and these alliances and peace. Um, and even that, you know, the, the blood looks like water. That kind of reminded me of something else, maybe, huh? You know, Absolutely. Jesus on the cross, our baptisms, but we didn't have time to get into that. Pastor Bruce Tim of Redeemer Lutheran Church in St. Cloud, Minnesota, giving us a good word to this morning from 2 Kings chapter 3. Pastor Tim, thank you for being our guest. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Saints of our Lord, we need a preacher, we need the truth, and that's what God gives us. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.